Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. This week on the Recruitment Flex, we cover why is LinkedIn so cringy? Most people, actually 92%, never finished their online job application. Do it. Your in-mail suck. Well, let's try to help you out. And let's see if speeding up immigration here in Canada will help us with the labor shortage. I'm Serge Boudreaux. Again, actually not again. I've taken on a new co-host because Shelly really pissed me off last week. She betrayed me by saying Chad Sowash was better looking. So I brought in Kim Wilkinson. How's it going, Kim? It's going great. <laughs> You're just going to uh, pretend I'm not here? <laughs> yeah, I was going to run the whole episode without you here. Oh so. my God. You're so sensitive. You know, the male ego is very fragile, right? Um, <laughs> the right answer, Shelly, would have been, even you're probably right, and that's fine, would have been, no, you're equally good looking. You just have different characteristics or, or something oh, like yeah. that. That's well, fine. That's okay. I will openly and gladly admit that Kim is way better looking than I am. She is gorgeous. <laughs> absolutely beautiful in every way. So welcome back to the show, Kim. Thank you. Gosh, I'm going to come back all the time now. My head is going to barely fit in the screen. <laughs> well, you ladies are equally as gorgeous. Shelly, that's that's how you do that. Just, just <laughs> know. That's just how you do that. Hey, thank you. I've been schooled on proper etiquette. So in the green room, we were talking about the shows <laughs> that we've been watching and you brought up Yellowstone. Give me your insights. Are you liking so, Yellowstone? Well, I just started. It was the family day long weekend, right? And I had so much time on my hands. I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I started watching Yellowstone. And um, is Kevin Costner a producer? I'm pretty sure he produces it and wrote it because he's got to be 61, 62 years old. So there comes a time when romantic scenes just don't become that sexy. So I'm deciding whether to watch past the fifth episode because I think it's episode three or four or something. And he's got this young senator, governor, something he's, he's in the bedroom with her. And I was just like, there is nothing sexy about him. This just doesn't work. I don't know. No, I've heard otherwise. Oh, it made me sick to my stomach. No, I'm just okay. like, oh, no, no, let, let, I don't let me just see your saggy body. Yeah. Let, let me give you the gorgeous young guys. So my wife's hairdresser was talking to my wife about Yellowstone before we watched it. And she's probably like 25. And she's like, I don't know, but I've been watching Yellowstone and I don't care how old Kevin Costner is. He's just so damn hot. No, I've been the, watching the, it. That's the shots where he's got a body double. He absolutely does. Like for all these big rescue scenes at 61, don't tell me he can run that fast. Like, please. He's got a stunt man or a body double or something. You think? But there so was it's not one your shot- thing? A 60-year-old body's not your thing. Oh, no, it's just stuff gets loose. It's like that Seinfeld episode of the ugly naked. But it's like (laughs) naked is not right all the time. Yes. And And there's something about innuendo that makes it even sexier. Let's move to the innuendo part for Kevin Costner. So tell me, what are you watching, Kim? Well, I have been obsessively watching Love is Blind. It is just a train wreck that I cannot take my eyes off of. I I don't know that one. If you're looking for some like empty, thoughtless, <laughs> and this is the second season that's out. And I have never yelled at a TV like this. And I'm in a room by myself watching and I'm like, you're not going to say yes, are you? You absolutely are not saying yes to this person. It's an insane watch. So definitely take it in. 
Okay. Give me the premise of the show yeah, uh, because I, I've heard about it, but I, I don't I have not know exactly watched it either. what it is. So it's 15 guys, 15 girls, and they don't get to see each other. They go in these pods where you're facing each other, but there's no visual there. And you basically are speed dating, falling in love without ever seeing the person. The only time you get to see them is when you propose marriage to them. When they see each other for the first time, they are engaged. It's really interesting to watch and see people's reaction. And the whole premise is, is love blind? Like, can you fall in love with someone's person and then see them in person? And will that still connect? And so the answer is no, love is not blind. And <laughs> I was going to no. ask. Yeah. It's not in any of these dating shows is you're put in these extreme weird situations and you really start to see things fall apart when they start doing regular, normal things together. Shelly, this sounds like a perfect show for you to watch. It seems right up your alley because... <laughs> No, you. I don't know. My other addiction is RuPaul's Drag Race. I have watched every single season. And then they have the pit stop on YouTube where they dissect and criticize the episode. Brooke and I, I think we have seen absolutely every single episode. Serge, have you seen it? Well, I did on your recommendation. And I'm like, Uh hey. My six-year-old who loves like dressing up and everything. I'm like, this is going to be a perfect show for her and we'll watch it together. Yeah, no, five minutes in. I'm like, this is crazy. I guess entertaining in some ways, but definitely it's not for a six-year-old. Have you seen it, Kim? No, it's not for a six-year-old. I've seen a few episodes. I will watch a bunch next week. My sister's obsessed with it. I'm seeing her. So we will be intensely watching it. It's entertaining and not for children. Uh, Not for children. No, absolutely not. For Brooke's early birthday present, Work the World, the RuPaul's Drag Race, they're coming to Calgary in August. So I bought us VIP meet and greet at the Jubilee Auditorium when they come to Calgary. We're going. I can't say that I'm jealous. We're going to go meet the drag queens. Oh, yes. I I, I can't say that I'm jealous or I've watched the after show on YouTube. I need to send you work or something to do. This is what happens when you don't have three little children at home. (laughs) Well, let's talk about cringe. uh, Because RuPaul was pretty cringy to me when I was watching it. Not because it's bad. You don't watch it with your six-year-old. Good God. Mistake. Um, So I'll wait till she's like 14 and... We'll see if season 200 is is on by then. But yeah, I wanted to talk about this topic because every time we have Kim, obviously we think Kim as the LinkedIn queen. And I've been seeing so much cringe on LinkedIn. Can you introduce the topic, Kim? And then we'll jump around and give our thoughts on what is LinkedIn cringe. Sure. And I'm glad we're doing a roundtable because I think that our ideas of cringe are different. I've heard your mm-hmm. ideas before of cringe and I, I don't think they're cringe. There's a lot of opinions. This is the age of the keyboard warrior. And so everybody's showing some really special sides of themselves. Here's what's cringy to me on LinkedIn. Here's what makes me go, ah, when people are taking selfies and sharing personal bits about their life, not to do with business. This is not Facebook or Instagram. When I see people giving those updates, I just shake my head. It drives me crazy. I also cringe when I see people participating in or posting 
hot political topics. I don't know how, I don't think I even follow him, but it'll come up in my feed, Justin Trudeau's LinkedIn page, and he'll come out, make something. And I always click on the comments because I'm like, I got to see who's coming out to town here. And the things that people are saying with the direct tie to the organization that they work for, don't get me wrong. Everyone has an entitlement to an opinion. I have an opinion. LinkedIn is not the place to rip your prime minister. It's just not. Kim, let's actually dig on that one because LinkedIn recently came out a feature that you can block any political talk, which I've inactivated. It's quite helpful. You've inactivated yours? Well, I've activated that feature that I do not see anything political. And I wish every social media channel had that. Have you guys seen that? No. Just heard about it uh, last week that they now have that option. Because Kim, I couldn't agree with you more. Oh my God. I hate it when people, especially when they are insulting another political party, it's the lowest of low. It's like, if it's so bad, go run for office. In my household, my husband says something. I'm like, well, I look forward to your name on the next ballot and I'll be sure to cast my vote for you. Get behind the wheel then if you're going to make some change. Don't sit there and complain. You just look like a dink. Well, we had an election here in Canada, what, five months ago? So democracy did what democracy does. Either you agree or disagree. I I don't want to talk about political things on any of my social media. There is such a divide across the country. And social media is just driving it further and further. If I'm going on Facebook, which is rare, I I want to see your kids, your cat, your dog. I really am so sick of hearing about all your opinions on every conspiracy theory there is. So I'm glad LinkedIn is doing it. But to agree and disagree with you, Kim, on that is the political should not be on any social media. Think about it before you do, but especially on work. Like I've seen cases where people are commenting on something really, really bad. And it shows up in my feed because I'm connected to them. And I automatically think less of that person, maybe not based on their political views or what they're sharing. But to be stupid enough to go on LinkedIn and say some really negative things, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What is the cringiest thing you've seen? Because I know you guys are nasty, but you're cringe. Last time we (laughs) talked about it. Well, for me, the cringiest things when it comes to posting is all those motivational type of, uh, (laughs) what do they call it? The bro memes? Uh, where it's basically a tree. Yeah. I love that. There's an example is I was walking down the street and I was going to be on time for my interview, but I saw a dog that was sick. So I stopped (laughs) and I took care of the dog and I fed him. So I missed my interview, but then I got a phone call from the company inviting me again to the interview. And I walked in and the dog was the interviewer. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's not actually, yeah. it's I've a meme on it. Like that. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Those are really cringy to me. Your point on the selfies, they don't bother me as much because what these people are trying to do is show a human connection because you are right. There is a face that we put out to the public, right? And there's mm-hmm. a face that we we have at home. Let's try to combine our personalities and be the real person wherever we are. I'm not like, I'm, I'm iffy. I don't know, Shelly. What do you think about those? Well, I hate them too. It just reeks of desperation. Honestly, like, why are you doing this? It's almost like they're trying to be a fake influencer. 
Yeah. Right. Like, and LinkedIn is not, I know there's LinkedIn and influencers, but it's not the same. <laughs> You're just trying too hard. And what makes me cringe is when the humble braggings, you know, I'm so thrilled to announce that I'm joining this wonderful team. And why are you doing that? That's where I'm like, that's harsh. Why are we condemning people for celebrating? <laughs> but it's not, I don't think that's why they're doing it. Like, why do you feel compelled to do that. I, I, honestly, I think it's just finding some way to get the spotlight on yourself. And what for? Do you think that it makes your new employer look good? Because are they constantly posting that sort of thing? No. Yeah. It's only when they change jobs and you see a spike in likes, right? The other thing that makes me absolutely cringe is the coach. They're a life coach. The last couple of years, I think there's been this incredible, if you don't know what to call yourself, or if you can't find a job, then you put your title as coach and everybody thinks they're a coach. And do you know how many people hang out that shingle and they're the furthest thing from it? Yeah. Do you get emails or LinkedIn messages from these folks? It's funny, the minute that I started my own business, suddenly I got just every coach and the yeah. universe reached out to me. And then I'm looking at their profiles. And I'm like, let me check it out. Look at their profile. And they had no experience, no knowledge. I'm like, really? You haven't done exactly. it yourself? I have no issues with coaches if they've done it. Show me right. what you've done. I think coaches in business are really good. But if you haven't done it, don't try to yeah, sell. If you don't have the battle scars, Calling yourself a coach and spending $25,000 to become a certified coach when you've never lived it is a lot like somebody who claims to be a DE&I leader and they're not from any visible DE&I category themselves. One thing that makes me cringe, and I've talked about this before, is when someone posts a link to a job, they post a link, we're hiring, that makes me cringe. But then I yeah. look at the comments and I have job seekers saying interested. That makes me cringe because really that's your approach, Mr. Oh or Mrs. Job seeker interests. You should do the work as a job seeker to reach out. Just putting interest in me screams lazy, but Kim, you're a recruiter. What do you think of that? If you post something, you must get that when you post like all the time. Like it that. drives me crazy, especially when there's clear instructions on like how to apply to just interested take a look at my profile. I'm like, oh, no, I'm very busy. <laughs> I gave you my email address, send me an email and let's chat from there. <laughs> I agree. That is like ultra cringy or when people hijack your post and just start talking about something yes. else, self-serving. So on that big yeah. crazy one that is still going, it's so insane. How many views now? now? It's like three and a half million. The thing is just, just can't be stopped. My 15 minutes of fame is fizzling, but some chick from the States, a recruiter starts posting her own business ads and stuff in the post. I'm like, Hey, taxter, like get your own yeah. post. I saw a post about that not long ago, someone that has a, a huge reach and it's very common for people to go in their posts and huck their shit, like whatever, their, their small business that they're trying to sell or their executive coaching. I've had that once or twice happen to me and I just blocked them. I'm like, you're not coming on my feed and trying to sell your shit to people that follow me or are interested in this post. What do you do? 
yeah, I just let it roll. I think it'll speak volumes for itself. What I do do, and I, I don't know if this happens to you guys, I'll have rando people tag me in their own post that has nothing to do with me so that it will gain more traction and visibility. And I'll just untag myself from those. If I'm involved in it or had an interaction, I'm more than happy to be part of that community, but just a rando tag, I'm not here for it. Well, let's jump into the next topic. One of the things that a lot of recruiters are having a challenge right now is getting responses on their emails or LinkedIn messages. If you're in certain roles, you're just getting bombarded by them. I actually read an article that talks about five ways to grab the candidate's attention with your emails. And I was curious to get both your perspective. You both are recruiters and you are reaching out to candidates on LinkedIn. The first one was open strong, a short, catchy subject line leaves candidates curious to see what you have to say. The second one is make a connection. A few personalized touches can increase response rates by 20%. Yes. And I rarely see that. Uh, Recognize the candidate skills. Flattery is always good, right? Be direct and succinct. So you should be around 200 to 400 characters. It does show that you'll have a, a higher response rate. And I can see that. And then use your network. Try to highlight connections you have in common when you're reaching out. So Was this article accurate? Is there anything missing? I'll start with you, Kim. What's your thoughts? I think it's a bit contradictive of itself. So keep it short, but offer compliments. So just an an email of compliments. I'm not even going to talk about my job. You are so attractive and look like you're good at your job. Do you want to talk? Um, (laughs) Tell me. I think it's good to be to the point. It's good to be direct about what you're hiring about. Honestly, I don't have time to write personalized for every candidate, even though it's a candidate-led market, think that savvy candidates will hear about opportunities that come their way just to gauge where they're sitting in the market. Candidates are picking and choosing based on how a message is, is worded or maybe doing themselves a disservice in their employment search. Well, first of all, do you actually send LinkedIn emails? Is that a common all the part? All the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say the primary way I'm recruiting is by messaging candidates directly. I have a decent response rate, but honestly, that comes from me doing the work ahead of time. People know me, they're familiar with me, they respond to me. So thinking that you can fix you not being someone who's branded themselves and put themselves out there by fancying up a message and tossing out a compliment, it's a little naive as well. Shelly, let's go to you and then Mm -hmm. I'll rebut you in in some way there, Kim. (laughs) Oh, okay. But it goes back for me, 101 of communication. There's certain things to be short, be succinct, make it personalized. This assumes that you're not taking a template and blasting it out to the 50 contacts you're allowed within whatever subscription you have on LinkedIn. Let's think back to the beginning of January where 16,000 recruiters worldwide were hired, most of which probably have very little experience as recruiters, or they've decided to pivot their career. So this is a great timely article for new to the market recruiters who really don't know any better. They honestly believe, well, as soon as you see my LinkedIn profile, you're going to respond to me. Then they realize that the response rate is like 2%. Because like you said, Kim, someone like yourself who has invested years of time and thousands of hours to ensure that not only when you reach out to a candidate, all they have to do is a couple clicks and take a look if they don't already know you, see that you are very much an influencer versus somebody whose last job was outplacement. (laughs) 
imagine all of those HR outplacement people who now don't have anything to do have decided to become recruiters. Are you going to talk to Kim? Are you going to talk to somebody who was in the, I'm sorry, but this is your last day business? To Kim's point, obviously you spent a lot of years building your brand, your network, and it's it's bearing fruit for you, right? But there is a lot of new recruiters that are going out there and just blasting everyone and using a template. If I'm a candidate, something comes in and there's a real sense that that person actually did their research. And when I say compliments, to give you an idea, and they pointed out in the article, software developers is the perfect example. They're getting bombarded that they're not even going on LinkedIn anymore because it's like 20, 30 a week. How do you stand out from there? But saying, hey, I looked at your GitHub profile and your Ruby skills are amazing. There's nothing wrong with that. Serge, because you're right. This is not where they hang out. But if you're looking to recruit in the accounting profession, Kim, are they on LinkedIn? Oh, yeah, they're definitely on there. And do I use a template of sorts? I write a message about the role I'm recruiting on. I also don't want to misuse someone's time. So I'll articulate what I need. But I also am doing my homework. I'm looking at the profile going, okay, I believe this person is going to be in line with this skill. I think where you lose a candidate is where you're writing about an accounts payable person and just anyone who has accounts payable in their profiles getting that message, even though now they're a director of finance, we've fallen off the rails there. If it's the relevant person, if it's clear about the role, using their name is important. I do make sure that I'm addressing everyone by their name. You should have a pretty decent return rate, right? And also recognizing you need to do some follow-up. I won't hear back. I'll go through a follow-up. Sometimes I'll go to their profile and see if they have an email address listed. I'll then send them an email, let them know I've sent them a LinkedIn message because I also need to recognize not everyone is on there like I'm on there. And so if you want a candidate, you gotta you gotta chase them. There's so many young recruiters that are just blasting out a thousand type of contacts and there's nothing worse than the high than like brackets. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, exactly. You know, they screwed it up. I always think it's important is working in sales that you personalize and you do some type of research saying, Hey, I saw that you went to Dell university. My sister went there. Like those types of things can have a positive impact. If you have not built that brand and you're not at the next level, there's a lot of recruiters that will get a higher response rate, uh, no matter what, but for someone new, it's worth doing research before you're reaching out, not just spraying out, which is what most recruiters are doing right now. Yeah. Do you think that that's realistic though, given that you have worked a high volume desk before, did you have time to do that and be successful at your job? Well, if I'm working a high volume desk, I'm focusing on inbound, not on outbound. I'm focusing on ways for them to come to me, not for me to go to them and leveraging recruitment marketing. Generally, if you're doing a lot of in-mails, you're very targeted roles, right? Like, are, are you going to do LinkedIn in-mails on, on truck drivers? Like, no, on retail. But if you're doing for an accountant or anything like that, that you're looking for that perfect candidate, yes. But what's happening is these recruiters are just blasting to 100. And this is where they should flip the script and focus on their message outside. There is value in driving inbound as well. I think the point is well made, though, that don't do it. If you don't have the time, if you send out a hundred emails or in mails, don't even do it. If you're not going to follow up, because if you honestly believe, and maybe this is the, the marketer side of my brain, but if you believe that somebody sees your brand once 
and they remember you forever, you're delusional. Talking about uh, LinkedIn and cringe, and I'm even going to bring up reality shows. So one influencer on LinkedIn had a pretty funny message. He says, new reality show ID. CEO has to complete his company's application process without firing anyone. (laughs) It's true. How many CEOs, how many recruiters have actually done their own recruitment Mm -hmm. process? There was a recent study that shows that most people, actually 92%, never finish an online job application that they started. We're not surprised uh, because we've talked a lot about this, but it's good to see the numbers from ATCAS and their research is a candidate drop-off rate for people who click apply but never complete an application is a whopping 92%. And part of that article, there was InFlight that found that an average of 51 clicks are required to go through an application. That is why people are not going through your application process because we all know the data. The minute that you're asking someone to register, you're losing 50%. The minute that you are taking more than five minutes to do the application, you're losing the 90% that's left. It's not surprising because I have the benefit of working with a lot of companies and going through their application process. (laughs) And it's insane out there. Like the troubles we were having in 2002 are exactly the same as we have right now with most of the company. Not a surprise, Shelly, and we talk yeah. a lot about this, but give me your take. I can't believe we're still talking about this. Honest to God, you're right. This has been a problem, not since 2002, but certainly I would say since 2016 or 17, talent acquisition has been doing our very best to impress upon those that make the decision on the applicant tracking system to let us have the steering wheel. And so this is wonderful. I wish I could share this article with every one of my clients that are still using this apply process. And this article points out a huge employer that spends, I would estimate in the tens of millions of dollars on recruitment marketing. And yet where does it come to a screeching halt is the fact that they're making people register first before you can apply to the job. Somebody should be fired over this. Think of it like online shopping. How many times have you put a sweater in your cart and then the time you have to go get your wallet, fill in your address. And then you're like, do I need this sweater? I don't know. It's like an impulse purchase. You want it like gum. It needs to be at the till. The lady's ringing it through right there. Yeah. Because when you're dealing with that working candidate, something has generally happened. They just had a shit conversation with their boss. They're like, I'm on the job board. If you delay that, then you're going to lose them. You want to catch them when they're wanting to apply and make it as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What really frustrates me is most companies don't even understand what their drop-off rates are, right? Then to your point, Shelly, they spend millions to be able to attract people to their organization. Then these people are dropping off the minute they get to that landing page where it's supposed to convert these people into applicants. If that happened in marketing, yeah, the CMO would lose his job. But what we're seeing with talent acquisition is 
nothing's ever done. It's not the thing they look at. They actually just go to another source and say, hey, we're not getting enough candidates from source B. Can you deliver more? But they have no clue what the drop off. It's so frustrating to see companies go through this cycle. It goes back to the online days because before you just drop off your resumes, it was pretty easy. You had to drive up. You asked for the manager, right? I did that. I remember my dad driving me up and down when I was applying for my first job and I walked in. I wanted to shake your hand. And we've lost that. The problem is we're trying to automate a human process and we're losing humans in the process of it. So it's quite ironic at the end of it. Isn't it? Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. (laughs) Don't you think? I think the biggest piece of advice here is actually do get your CEO to finish your online application. Let's get the feedback from the executives. If they understood what is going on, they would lose their shit and I wouldn't blame them at all. I don't think they have an understanding of what their candidates are going through. Let's talk about our labor market here in Canada. We're actually trying to speed up our whole immigration process to be able to bring in more people from outside the country. Shelly, do you think this is needed? Do you think this will help with our current crisis that we have? I was really, really encouraged to see this. And even closer to home, what I really appreciate about what we're going to do this time, and hopefully we'll get it right, is that rather than bringing in people based on these national labor demand statistics that are typically two or three years old and completely flawed, The proposal is that we start taking a look at having an actual match on the job with the employer before we start the immigration process. And that's very new because there was previously categories. The perfect example would be the radiology technicians. We put on this huge push and ask radiology techs to come in from all parts of the world. They get to Canada and they realize that there are tons of unfilled jobs, but they need to go back to school because the provincial body that governs their qualifications are saying, oh, no, 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 we won't recognize your education and skills because you're coming from another country. So Kim, I don't understand. What are your impressions? Are they talking to the governing bodies about recognizing more broadly education globally? Is that what they're doing or no, just no, no, no. What they're doing is industry and government are not speaking to one another. What the government is doing is they've done these massive surveys to find out that there's a deficit of a certain skill. So they put that on the labor market impact assessment list to say, okay, if it's in this category, you're fast tracked, come on in. Then the radiology tech gets here to Canada and realizes that they're going to have to drive an Uber for the next two years while they go to school at night to become recertified. What they're doing is before they look at this data, let's make sure employers are ready and that they know if we bring these people in, can we get them to work in a decent amount of time? So there's an actual matching process that goes on rather than just going off these surveys, because that's easy. You and I and Serge, we can tell them off the top of our head what skills are needed. That's a no-brainer. But are the employers ready to take them if they are trained in a foreign country? And shouldn't we be looking at that then? I deal with tons of candidates who come in and their education isn't recognized. And I don't always understand 
understand that the bodies are different in Europe versus Canada. We're hungry for doctors and, and medical professionals. Why is there so many hoops? Why is a candidate who is educated yeah. driving an Uber? That's a great question. Yeah, so, that is absolutely the case because someone told them, come to Canada, we've got lots of jobs and they arrive and realize that their medical degree in Canada is not recognized. Well, they should have realized that before, like uh, doing your research. But uh, as far as the certifications, there's got to be a better way. The good thing is during the pandemic and, and even before the pandemic, when Donald Trump was in, in power and immigration went down in the U.S., we were able to attract some of the world's most skilled tech people, which really has made a difference in where we are when it comes to the technology side. We're seeing Toronto, we're seeing Vancouver, we're seeing hubs of talent that we never had before. We still need more, but if there's a skill set, let's bring them in because that's how we're going to compete against the world is having the best skilled people. And Canada is a great place to live. It's damn cold. Like today, it's like, what, minus 22 not the but best. <laughs> it's it's a great place and we want those skill sets. So let's remove the barriers to make this easier for people to come in Canada if they have the right skills. I'm hopeful, but I've also been involved in immigration for 20 years, corporate roles where immigration came under my responsibility. And I can tell you that all good intentions, yes, but unless the individuals coming into the country have an offer from the employer it will spell disaster. Yeah. Government has got to join arms with employers locally because then it works because then we know they've been vetted and they have a job when they get here. And will that work across all skill sets though? And I'm thinking right now of where employment is extremely depleted would be in your hospitality, your retail is it really viable to interview those people and then ask them to go through an immigration process to go work at a restaurant? Like what? No, 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 no. What this article was saying is, okay, hold on, everybody. Help is on its way because those international experience work permits, we're talking 56 days from the time you apply to when you could be landed in the country, especially if you are, and I know this sounds awful, but the, the truth of it is, it would be someone who is young, educated, or doing a working vacation. And that has been the solution in Australia for years. And Canada's had this reciprocal agreement. That's why there's so many Australians up on the ski hills here in Alberta, right? Totally. So yes, there are absolutely programs, but because of COVID, they all shut down. They halted operations in 2020. So getting this engine revved back up where we would normally bring in 400,000 people a year, just getting that first 100,000, that's going to be the real test of whether or not we can kickstart our economy for jobs just like that, Kim. Hospitality, food service, because the young people who want that travel experience, they can get an open work permit and they're here in 60 days. Yeah. Well, we absolutely need it. I mean, you're seeing restaurants close for certain hours. I was up in Tofino last summer and restaurants were not open their regular hours because they could not stop their businesses. And so it's desperately needed. Well, we've talked a lot about cringe uh, this week and pretty much everything I say is usually cringy. My son tells me I'm cringy daily. So yeah. <laughs> I'm an expert on cringe. <laughs> and Serge, what is it going to take for me to get you to forgive me for saying that Chad Sowash was more buff than you. 
Do well, he is more gift? buff. That's a, it's not the argument of being more buff. Like literally, oh, everyone see. is. More I was submerged. Let's just settle this. Take off your shirt. Let's okay. have a okay. Let's, There you go. Like a doll. Right? <laughs> yeah. Next episode you're on, Kim. I'm just going in with no shirt. It's like completely topless. As long as you agree to do the same thing, both of you, I'll, I'll do it. So never going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. Thanks, Kim. Really appreciate you coming again. Shelly, yeah, always Kim. a pleasure. And I forgive you. Don't worry about okay. that. Thank Listeners, you. Sir. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry. Thanks guys. Have a good week. Bye. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.